All right. Um, I was talking with my family on the way up in the car, and when preparing a sermon, you pray about it, and you look to the Lord's leading, and then you study the scripture, and you look through it, and that bit, in a sense, is easy. Then you have the trouble of how am I going to introduce this? That's usually the hardest part for me, because you have to have a few seconds to grab your attention and say that this is worth listening to, and it really is, because it's God's word, and so how do you approach that? I've never mastered that. But one way I do it sometimes is just talking about the fact that I'm having to reach out to you and make connection. And that's what I'm doing right now. So hopefully it's working. But um, don't know. um, I'm sure you've encountered uh, um, while watching television, there's this one particular time when there's absolutely nothing else on, you encounter infomercials. Have you encountered infomercials? Yes? Affirm with me. You know what that is? Okay, so it's, it's like a mini show all about how this wonderful blender can blend anything. Okay, you can put an iPhone in there and it will blend an iPhone. And it can, that's the level of, of power that this blender has. And this is what you can push it to. And, you know, this, this is the type of hairstyling thing that will, will both curl your hair and dry your hair and dye your hair all at the same time. And this is what you need to spend $99.99 right now. And if you order now, we'll throw in this pair of kitchen knives, which I'm not sure why you need kitchen knives with hair. To, you know, but that's what they throw in, and that's what we're used to now. And it's an infomercial, and it's a bit ridiculous. So building a bridge, um, I'm home for the Christmas and displaced my brother, and he's very kindly sleeping on the couch, which would not be good for me right now. And, you know, very grateful for that. But we have an air mattress. But I do remember one air mattress we bought because of an infomercial. This particular infomercial, this air mattress would inflate. So you, you plug it in, you press a button, and it just inflates. This was a wonderful air mattress, you know, especially compared to Argus ones that, you know, you, you pump and you pump and you pump, and then it just deflates by itself. Um, you know, and, you know, so you're watching this infomercial for a good five minutes, you know, about how wonderful this air mattress is. And, you know, you know, but you're always worried when you buy an air mattress, will it deflate automatically? You know, is there, you know, you, as soon as you sit on it or, you know, drop, is, is, it just, is it just rubbish? And so to demonstrate how wonderful this air mattress is, you know, and they said, well, the maximum capacity is normally this many stone, but here are two sumo wrestlers having a sumo wrestling match on the air mattress. And they brought out two sumo wrestlers, which were, you know, each one of them, we're over the weight limit. And they're having this rest. And you're there saying, you know what? I'm pretty sure that I'm not that heavy. And uh, I can make it. You know, that if I buy that air mattress, it'll be okay. And so you buy it on the basis of these two sumo wrestlers. But all of these infomercials, and they're, they're, they're trying to show you, here's, here's how far this product can go, and here's what it's designed for, and, and how it works, and what its capacity is. And everything that we use has some sort of capacity. But... Also, it's, it's dependent. You know, you can't, you don't just, you know, this air mattress that I was talking about, you plugged it in, and you, you can't say, if you haven't paid the electricity bill, say it doesn't work if the, you know, if you're, you haven't only gotten electricity going into it, you know? You can't say, well, it's the air mattress, it's just a rubbish air mattress, it doesn't work. If you plug it in, there's no electricity. And uh, say you buy a brand new car, and you never put petrol in it. And you say, oh, this car is rubbish. I just bought this brand new car. It's not working. Well, that's it's not really the car's fault if you're not putting petrol in it. Or maybe you put diesel in instead of petrol, which, you know, that's another problem in itself. Um, but we don't have a problem with saying that 
things are designed a certain way. And you, know, you need to know how they're designed to have them work right. And if you use them away apart from what, how they're designed and it doesn't work, that's not the designer's fault and it's not the product's fault. Um, there's a reality that spans who we are is that we're designed to be dependent on God. In ways, you know, just the way, same way you'd expect a car to be dependent on petrol. We need God. And there's, there's no way around it. And sometimes we try and, you know, substitute other things and, and make life work apart from God. But the reality is we're designed to need God. Think about physically. You know, you can't go too long without sleep. And I've tried. You have to eventually, eventually sleep beats you and you have to sleep. You can try going so long without food. Eventually, you need to eat. Eventually, you need to drink water. There are things that we, we need that God provides for us. God gives us rest. God gives us food and drink. And so that, that, that's things that God supplies for us physically. We need to have needs emotionally that really God is the one who fulfills, uh, meets those needs. And if we go and try and meet them outside of God's way and outside of God's design, we just end up hurting ourselves. But if we have family relationships and friendships and church interaction, and, uh, you know, proper interaction that God has designed, we find our needs met, and they're met properly, and that's good. And we have spiritual needs. We don't just have physical needs and, and, and soulish needs, emotional needs. We have spiritual needs, and God's the only one who can answer those. And in addition, this was the way things were even before the fall, before sin was there. We always were supposed to need God. That's the way things always were supposed to be. God made the Garden of Eden, made Adam, and he gave him a helper. He, he put him there. He gave him work to do. He'd come and he'd minister. To, they, they'd talk in the cool of the evening. They'd have that interaction. And uh, even before sin, even before that extra thing that we needed God for, before we needed redemption, before we needed his grace to overcome sin, we needed God anyway. And that's the way we're designed. And so we need to realize that Otherwise, we're going to make a right mess of our lives. Because if we're, if we're trying to plug the holes or run the, run the car on diesel when it's supposed to be a petrol car, we're going to mess things up. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 40. Uh, the 40th Psalm. This is a Psalm of David. And David here is not ashamed to say he needs God to deliver him. Because that's the way God designed us. We need God to intervene. Some people say, oh, yeah, I, I, I really don't need religion. I don't need that sort of crutch, as if, as if religion is a crutch. And to some people, they misuse religion and the idea of God as, as a fantasy world to pretend that things are okay. But there are, are things that God says in his word that we can hope in, that we can have confidence in. That that's not a fantasy. It's not a crutch. It's the way things, you know, we don't mock, you, you know, you don't mock your mo mobile phone for being dependent on a battery. You say, oh, yeah, I, I imagine one mobile phone going to the other. Yeah, I don't, I don't need those batteries. Every phone needs a battery. People should, you know, if people come to you and say, oh, you, I, I, don't, I don't need that crutch that you have to get through life. We're designed to need God. And it's okay to say, I need God in my life. I need God to provide my food. I need God to provide my physical needs. I need God to provide my emotional needs through the ways he has designed. And I need God to meet my spiritual needs. That's okay. That's not embarrassing or, or shameful. And David here is not ashamed at all. Say, God, I need you. 
So if we start in verse 1, um, uh, we need to look and see. I'll just start reading in verse 1 there. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock, and established my goings. Do you know God delivers the person who calls on him? You look through the Bible and you find any time, any time, a person calls out to God. Do you know what's the next thing that's going to happen? The very next thing that's going to happen after a person is called out to God is that God delivers that person. You go through the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is a time when Israel is turning from God, and they go, every man does that which is right in his own eyes, and they, 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 they go out and they serve other gods, and there's, there's one particular time that you know, they go out, they serve other gods. God sends chastisement through a, a, a foreign army that invades. And, and they cry out to God and say, God, you're right. We shouldn't have gone off. You're our God. And they turn back to him and he delivers them. There's one particular time where they cried out and God said, listen, even if you cry out to me, I'm not going to deliver you. That's it. Just forget it. I'm not going to deliver you. And he, they say, okay, God said he's not going to, we're still going to put away all our false gods. We're still going to cry unto God, and God delivers them anyway. Because that's the God that we serve. Every time someone calls out to him, he delivers them. One of the kings of uh, Rehoboam's son, after Solomon died and his son took over, uh, Rehoboam received the kingdom, but he, he followed the foolish advice of his peers instead of the wise counsel of the old man. And God used it to give the northern kingdom to Jeroboam and Rehoboam, uh, accepted it, and when he died, his son rose up and was, was still full of the, the, the glory stories about the old days of David and Solomon. And so he decides to go up against Jeroboam and say, hey, you know, I, he's trying to prove himself as a king. And he, so he, he's going against what God has said through the prophets. And he's going against what God's you know, declared will. He goes out to fight against Jeroboam to win back the kingdom. And Jeroboam has him surrounded on both sides, and there's no way of getting out. And this king who's going against what God had said, cries out to God and God delivers. Do you know why? Because when you cry out to God, God delivers. That's the sort of God he is. He delivers the person who calls on him. Um, brought me out of, up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. It's hard here while, while reading this verse not to think of salvation. That first point where we're, we're just walking through the mire and stuck in the, the slough and the, the, we're, we're bogged down by, by just surrounded by sin. And God at that point reaches down when you call out to him for deliverance and he lifts you up and he puts you on a, on a rock, on a place where you can actually walk about without the hindrance and, and being stuck. And um, God does that. When we cry out for him for salvation, he saves. But it's, it's not necessarily here just talking about salvation. God delivers when we've got ourselves bogged down. So David here is remembering, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me, heard my cry, and lifted me up. Um, verse uh, 3 says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Um, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside unto lies. Now, I've heard many, many sermons uh, from this verse, verse 3, about the new song uh, being directed to worship. And it's great. It's a great thing that we can say once we're saved. We have a new song. And that new song is to sound different than the rest of the world's music. 
and you, particularly if you're going to show forth who God is, it's not a good vehicle to take the world's music, especially sinful music, and try and couple it with what with God's messages. So that that's that's a perfectly it's a wonderful thing to preach from there. Um, but I want to focus on the rest of the verse. What was the effect of this new song? Many shall see it and fear and shall put their trust in the Lord. Do you know our salvation, our transition, God's deliverance in our lives is supposed to impact other people? That's the point. You know, that, 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 that's a byproduct. That's something that God has done in addition. When, when we're delivered, when we're saved, and saved doesn't just mean about salvation from sin and hell. When we're saved, when we're delivered, God means it to impact other people. There's a point to God. Do you remember when uh, the, uh, the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt? And in, throughout the book of, of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, uh, towards the end of Exodus as well, God says, I want you to tell your children. We're going to have a Passover every year. And when they ask why we're doing this, re- remind them when we were slaves in Egypt, God reached down and delivered us. And so they remember. And the point of that was to remind, every generation was to remember, God delivers. God delivers. God delivered. God delivered us out of Egypt. How can God, how will God deliver me in my situation right now? And so there was a Passover every year which remind them. And then to have that future expectation of what God would do through Christ on Calvary. So many shall see it and fear and, and shall trust in the Lord. How many people has God's deliverance in your life affected? How many other people can ha- have been touched and said, you know what? I need to trust in God because he delivered you. That's, that's part of giving our testimony, part of, of sharing Christ with others. That, that's, that's to be expected as part of the Christian life is, you know what? God delivered me and it, it's in my life in such a way, it's a new song in my mouth. And other people are seeing it and they're fearing and they're trusting in God because of the change God has wrought in me. And we, we, we tend to think, well, you know, the more drastic things is the only way that works is, you know, if someone's, you know, on, out on the streets on heroin and God saves them and, and puts them in, in, you know, in heated wa- in warmth and, you know, and, and they're, they're living straight instead of all, off, you know, that's not the only way that works. Because every one of us were si- desperate sinners. And we were vile. And although it may not have been controlling us in the same way as heroin, you know what? Lying and pride, there should be a change in our hearts once we trust God so that you're, not, you're telling the truth now and you're a humble person now. That makes a difference in a family. You know, if all of a sudden in, in the households, a person who used to be a, a, a proud liar gets saved and is then a humble truth teller. That's as drastic a difference as someone being stuck on heroin and then getting off. And that's the sort of uh, salvation, the new song in the mouth that God uh, puts there so that we can tell others and that others will see it, will fear, and put their trust in the Lord. You know what? Because there's a general promise here. uh, Verse 4, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. You know, what direction we're headed will determine the benefits that we receive. If we're looking to proud people, if we're looking to liars for our, our direction, the turning aside to lies, you know what? Proverbs has a lot to say about the end that we're going to find. We're going to find destruction. We're going to find harm. Um, 
by following that path. But if you, if you follow Christ, if you follow his way, if you follow wisdom by uh, looking to his word, if you make the Lord your trust, that man is blessed. Now, that's not saying that every circumstance in life is easy, is you know, wonderful experience in, to, in the ways that we think of, but it means it's blessed. It's a blessed way to go when you follow God. So, <clears throat> because God is faithful, you must remember his works. So, he delivers the people who call on him. He delivers in an obvious way. Isn't that what that's describing? Isn't it, isn't it fair to, to say that the description of those two verses, uh, new song, many shall see it in fear, is that it's obvious. Isn't that a word to use? It's, it's obvious that God has delivered. God has shown his salvation. Other people can see it. That is something that, that um, God intends to do. Uh, verse 5, uh, begin, uh, re- we start to recognize here that because God is faithful, you must interact with him personally. Uh, verse 5, many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Um, we should recognize God's abundant blessing. Okay, we're not just remembering what God has brought about deliverance in our life, but we should um, be recognizing the abundant nature of God's blessing. God, God does so much more than we deserve. We're just, we're still, we're sort of in the middle of this festival time of Christmas. Can anyone say that this is, this is, you know, this is at least what I deserve in life. I at least deserve the blessings God has shown me. You know, uh, the, the turkey and the ham and, and the, the warm food and the uh, a house to live in, clothes on my back. I, you know, this is at least what I deserve, and I actually deserve a lot more. We don't say that, or if we do, we say it out of arrogance and self-deceit. We, we don't deserve more than that. God, in fact, has given us more than we deserve, and even in times that are hard. And that's the fact that the times are hard. The whole world is, is, is strapped. But, you know, God's good. And he gives us things that we don't deserve, and he, he, not just physically, but do we really deserve the type of emotional support or the type of spiritual blessing that God pours out on us daily? Reality is we don't. It's out of the goodness of his heart. Romans 5 says, um, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there, you know, the TH, when you're talking about King James English, is an, an S. So God commends, God shows, God demonstrates his love for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that he showed that his love because Christ died for us. That if you have any question whether or not God loves you as, your, as his child, as a fellow heir with Christ, don't question it at all. Because if you were his enemy and he sent his son to die for you, how much more now will he give you everything that you need? You're his child. He's going to look on you and smile and give the best that he possibly can for you. That's the God that we serve. He's, he's, the, he's an abundant giving God. He doesn't want to hold back. He doesn't, he doesn't measure out the, his blessings. He pours out abundantly. That's the sort of God he is. We need to then, since that's the God that we serve, we need to be responding from the heart to God. Uh, Verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not require. Mine ears thou hast, uh, hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering 
Hast thou not required? Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. God made a promise that in this time of the church, uh, after the death of Christ, that he would take away the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. That he'd write his law in our hearts. That people wouldn't be going to some priest somewhere saying, please explain to me the word of God. But he'd actually come and he'd dwell in us himself. And this is, this is a wonderful thing about uh, the, the blessing that we have at this time is that when you're regenerated, when God has, has given you new life, when you're saved, his law is in your heart. You, 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 there's a part of you that wants to do right. Now, as, as Paul points out in Romans chapter 7, this, there's, such, there's friction there because there's still a part of us that wants to do wrong. But there's a the part of us that wants to do, I want to do the right things, and I don't want to do the wrong things. Do you know why? Because God has worked in my heart. That's a blessing in, of, in and of itself that we want to do right in the first place. But responding to God from the heart, not just, you know, he says here about the sacrifices. And often when we think about worship in the Old Testament, we only think about the sacrifices. We think about, you know, you have to take the lamb and, you know, and, you know cut the lamb's throat and sacrifice. The, or you have to take the, the bull and you, you sacrifice the bull. Or you take the pigeons and you sacrifice the pigeon. And it's all about, here's an animal, kill it, pour out the blood. Here's the sacrifice. Or, or maybe I'll do a grain offering and mix in some, some oils in with a grain offering. And here's a grain offering. Or here's the bread. And it's all about the form. Do you know what? David, this is where David was living. And this is even before the temple. This is still with a with tabernacle. And he, he wanted so much to build it, a temple for the Lord. But he wanted to build a temple for the Lord and, and keep all of those sacrifices. But he knew that God's heart was not about the form. And even though we know that in our heads, and we don't have an altar here to come and sacrifice an animal, we find ways to make sure that that's happening. We're just keeping the form. Well, where are you going? Uh, church. Why? Well, it's Sunday. You know, have to go to church on Sunday. God doesn't want that. Now, that doesn't mean we stop going to church just because of that. But you know what God really wants? He wants a heart that wants to do his will. And David recognized that in the time that we'd most think about the, the, the form being the most important, David knew, Lord, you want my heart, and you have my heart, and I want to do your will. Here's my heart, and I, 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 I desperately want to do exactly what you want. And so do you know what happened because of that? David offered sacrifices. He did the form too because he wanted to do God's will. It was in his heart to do God's will. So he did, the, he did the form too. But it started in his heart. And even when uh, God was looking for a, a, a replacement for Saul, do you remember the qualification he put? He said, I, I'm searching for a man after my own heart. I don't just want another king like the kings of all the nations. I want a man after my own heart. And that's what he found in David. And this is David confessing. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he records. And if that is, if we're responding from the heart to God, if we've recognized the abundant nature of God's blessing, responding from the heart, we'll declare God's character. It says in verses 9 and 10, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. 
Do we fall? Can we honestly say this? That, Lord, we don't withhold thy righteousness. You know, God's standards are, people flout them left and right in our society. And um, things that, there there are two types of of ways you can look at this. One is God's righteousness towards us, the the good things that he's done. And it'll be very much in line uh, with what I'm saying to to emphasize testifying about what God has done for us. So stand up and say, you know, God delivered. So I'm going to stand up and say, here, God was righteous and he delivered me. That's, that's absolutely what we should do. But there's also the aspect of, I'm going to say what God's standards are. And someone, someone uh, beside you is having a conversation, and they're blaspheming and, and, and uh, contradicting God's word and saying, oh, here's what I think about right and wrong. They're going against God's righteousness. Stand up and speak God's righteousness. David, if, if David were in our society or was on Twitter, do you think he'd stand up for the, the type of conversation that goes on? No. He'd be saying, you can't be saying that. That's not right. That's not right. God has said this. You can't say that. And that's the sort of, sort of man David was. You couldn't go carry on a conversation beside him that was opposed to righteousness. And he'd not stand up and say, you know what? That's wrong. And here's a, 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 just, just a, a, a little bit of free information that you know, we should be thinking about. If, if you're not doing it in your own heart, it's, it's impossible for you to do it to other people. So if a thought comes across your mind and you're thinking wrong and you don't have scripture to correct it and you're, you're, you're not going to correct your own thinking, you're not going to be correcting other people's speech. It's just not going to happen. But if a thought comes across your mind and you know, you're thinking poorly about someone else or, or thinking uh, positively about a sin, and you're reflecting, and you're not saying, hey, wait, that's wrong. No, that's wicked. Get, that, get out of my head. You know what? You're not going to be saying to other people, hang on, do you know what God says? Because you're not thinking about it in your own self. And so we, if you're going to live up to this, this standard that David sets before us of not hiding God's righteousness within our, our heart, we need to be thinking about it, first of all, ourselves, and rejecting wrong thinking. Uh, and then we need to be speaking about it. And uh, <clears throat> uh, in the New Testament, it records about Lot, something that we would not necessarily have known about him from the, the, the book of Genesis account, how he, he went and lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. The New Testament records that just Lot vexed his righteous soul by all the things that he saw. But he never spoke up. He never spoke up. So much so that his own sons-in-laws and daughters laughed at him when they said, God is going to judge this place. He, he, was, he was mocked. He was a point of ridicule for it uh, in Lot's life. And you, you can't surprise people with God's righteousness. It should be part of your life so that it's not a surprise when so you say, you know, hey, turn that off or don't say that. It shouldn't be a surprise. It should be part of who we are. We should be declaring God's character as we go. Um, and since, since that's the case, and, and listen, if, if at any point God convicts your heart, if you're reading, you're reading the word or you're hearing a sermon, uh, um, there is forgiveness with Christ. Just go to him. Confess your sin. Agree with what God has said. And you'll find forgiveness with him. So if, if this has not been part of your life, confess it to God and say, God, by your strength, I will do right. I will speak righteousness. I'll speak righteousness in my own heart to myself and then I'll speak righteousness to others. That's, 
don't, don't let Satan trip you up and say, you know, there's no way God, God can accept me now because, you know, I can't cry out to God for deliverance if I haven't been preaching in righteousness. Don't, don't hide the righteousness anymore. Confess to God the sin that, the, of hiding it so far, but, you know, turn now to him. And uh, third point is because God is faithful, you must call to him for deliverance. Like I started out by pointing out, you know what? We need God. And even if we didn't have sin, we'd still need God. But all the more, much more because of sin, we know that we desperately need God. There's no way that on our own we can do right or we can, or, or, or we can achieve what we intend to in life uh, or what he intends, more importantly, for our lives apart from him doing it. But in this particular circumstance, David was surrounded by enemies. And there were enemies who were, uh, were, were closing in on him. And uh, he was asking for that type of deliverance from his enemies. And uh, we will encounter, you, you, you might say, well, the bank's not really my enemy, but they are pretty much choking me. You know, those things do happen. But here's David actually talking about physical enemies surrounding him. Verse 11 says, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed uh, me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold uh, upon me so that I am not able to look up. For they are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. What I noted from this is, is David's very specific. He's not saying just, you know, just Lord save me. Lord, I have enemies that are particularly surrounding me right now and I need you to deliver me from them. You know, and when you're praying for people, try and be as specific as you can. Don't say, Lord, just bless so-and-so. What does that mean? Ask God particularly what, what, you know, if it's financial deliverance, cry out for financial and say, Lord, here's this bill. Lord, deliver, deliver in this situation. Lord, here's this person who's attacking me. It's unlikely, uh, you know, we're, we're not out in the desert like David uh, being in, un, living under fear of our lives from you know different things, but you know th- there might be someone who's physically threatening you. That's that's something to cry out for specific deliverance from. Uh, but ask God for what He's going to, uh, what you need Him to do. Do you know why? Look back up at verse one and verse two. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. David started by reminding himself, do you know what? When I cried out and I waited, God delivered me. And other people saw it, and they feared, and they trusted in God. And God's an abundant blesser. He, He just pours out blessings. And I've been living in such a way, I haven't been hiding his righteousness in my heart. I've been telling people. And now, Lord... I'm in trouble again. So I'm crying out to you, Lord, would you deliver? So that's what he does. And then he expects public vindication. Now, vindication is, you know, is when he's declared to be you know, sound, to be what his faith was, was well put. It was, it was right for him to trust in God. Expect a public vindication. Verse uh, 14 says, Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha, 
Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. You know what? David expected again, just like in the first instance, there was an obvious deliverance. He expected this time it to be public vindication because the type of attack was public. There were enemies who literally wanted his life. So if the enemies literally wanted his life, they should be the ones standing back and say, you know what? Better not go near David because God delivers him. That's the, the, I, I, I'm not going after, after David again. I'm, I'm going to hold my mouth. I'm not going to say anything against him because God's the one who delivers him. That's the sort of deliverance that David expected. And uh, uh, I'm going to have you turn to two um, passages right now, just as we close. Go to Job chapter 42. As you go through the book of Job, Job goes through some very harsh things and God introduced them into his life uh, to refine him, to show Job who he was. He even used Satan's devices so that he could accomplish this. But Job's friends came along and they said things that were false, things that weren't true about God or who he was. And uh, so, let's see. Very clever computer is being too clever. Okay. Um, they said things that were false about God, and they were saying that, Job, you must be suffering because you're, you know, you've been wicked. You know, there's, there's no reason that God would be doing this to you unless you'd been wicked. So, uh, but Job said, really, I'm standing in my integrity. And if you go down to verse 7, uh, chapter 42. And it was so after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, uh, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For you have spoken of me the thing that is, uh, you have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take you now seven bullocks and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up, uh, up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him I will accept, lest I deal uh, with you after your folly. Um, uh, well, uh, after your folly, and that you have not spoken to me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. If you come to the end of the book of Job, you read through, and here's, here's you know, these three guys, they stand up and they say, Job, you know, you really, you really need to stand down here because you must be wrong, otherwise God wouldn't be doing this to you. You must have some hidden sin, you know, you know there must be some sort of problem. And, at the, you know, they, they've been standing there with their, with their wealth and kept their wealth, and Job's lost all of his wealth. And in their eyes, they, you know, God, God must be judging this guy. You know, he's, but that's not the point at all. God was refining him and showing him who he was. That was what God was doing for Job. And uh, it must be very humbling to have the Lord come out of the, you know, to speak to you and say, you know what, that guy who you've been saying is a wretched sinner and that I took everything from him because he's, he's such a vile sinner, what I want you to do is get, the, get uh, sacrifices and go to him. You offer sacrifices and he'll pray for you and him I will accept. But you lot, if he doesn't pray for you, you're in big trouble. That's the sort of indication that God does. He turns around the whole situation. People who think, oh, we have him now. We have him now. We're going to get him. We're going to get David. 
You know, the favorite of the Lord, the man after God's own heart. We're going to get him. You know, he can't stand anymore. And God just turns everything around. David, David's blessed. He's chosen. He's, he's my king. I'm going to protect him. And all these guys, all his enemies have to stand down. How did David survive with the, in the middle of the Philistines? He has to, you know, go in and interact. And, and he's serving the Philistine king while he's going and actually attacking Israel's enemies at, and hiding it from the king. How does he survive? Because God's blessing him. God's protecting him. And he's, he's there and he, he's, make, he's crying out these sort of psalms. Saying, Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me. I need you. Will you deliver me? And he remembers, you know, God delivered me before. He, he took me out of the pit and put my feet on a rock. And other people saw it and they feared. I've, I haven't hid. I haven't, I haven't kept back anything that God has done. And not only about delivering me, but also in who he is. God, would you deliver me again? Would you deliver me? And it's not a shameful thing. It's not embarrassing to go and fill up your car with petrol again because you need to fill up your car a lot. That's not embarrassing. That's not shameful when, you need, when you're putting into your device what it needs to keep going. We shouldn't be embarrassed that we're crying out. To, this is the way we're designed to be. Lord, here I am. I'm asking for help again. Would you deliver me? And you know what? God will even deliver out of the, the, the consequences that we make for ourselves. Not entirely. Enough to teach us not to, not to make those faults again. But he'll deliver. Because that's who he is. He reaches down and he delivers. Because God is faithful to deliver those who call on him, you must trust in his deliverance. Hebrews 11 closes with, I'd like you to turn there as well. After going through an uh, entire list of people who trusted God, Abraham and, and Moses and and these, these great heroes of the faith. And, and you, you go through those. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 32. Uh, you, you have Sarah who received strength because she counted him faithful who promised. Um, and you have Jacob who received. And, and you know, Abel being the first listed there. And, um, verse th- but verse 32 says, And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, and of of David also, and of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, tortured, accepting not deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and of imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder, were tempted and were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided uh, some better thing for us that they should, without us should not be made perfect. There is a balance that sometimes God's deliverance is physically harsh. It's not the deliverance that we'd like. And that, that's one key thing is you can't, you don't prescribe to God, here's, here's the plan of how to deliver me. Have you ever tried that? Lord, I need this bill paid, so here's the source of income you know, if you put it on that person's heart, because I know they have money, you, you can have them give it to me and I can pay this bill. 
Or, Lord, if you give me this job, then I'll have the money. Or, you know, uh, Lord, and you, we, 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 we scheme and we think, Lord, this is exactly how you need to deliver me. When that's not the point. The point is it's God's deliverance. And we need to trust in him and rest in him. And we say, Lord, I can trust you to deliver me. And I can trust you for the best way to deliver me. In such a way that it will be seen. It will be known. That, you know, and you think about the list of these peoples who, who were martyrs and burned and sawn asunder and stoned for the faith, for, for their witness to God. And you think, how can that work? And, but you read about how people, you know, the, the Romans w- w- would stand there and they'd burn or they, they'd send out lines to, to consume the Christians. And they say, we, we can't kill this. What, what, is, what is real here? That is cha- and I have to know what this is. And so uh, the old saying is that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Is that more and more people got saved every time they kept slaughtering these martyrs. You know, sometimes God's deliverance is not the deliverance that we expect. You read through the book of Acts and first uh, James and John, you know, part of the inner circle. Um, and James gets beheaded. And Peter, another one of the inner circle, gets put in prison by Herod too. And, you know, just shortly afterwards, and the people pray and and Peter walks out the door. How can both be deliverance? But both are. God delivered both men. And we, we, we always want, we want the, you know, the angel you know, opening up the doors and you know, keep, you know, keeping every, all the guards quiet and miraculously knocking on the door. And, and there's the girl who doesn't believe that they're actually there and thinks you're a ghost. You know, we want that deliverance. We don't want the beheading deliverance. But if you're going to really expect God's deliverance, sometimes it is harsh. But it's okay because it's his deliverance. It's what is best. And if we can trust him to deliver us, we can trust him to know what deliverance is best. Pastor Gorman. Let's just stand. Um. Excellent messages. We look to deliverance going into this new year. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you need deliverance? Now, you can need deliverance all you like. You can feel sorry for yourself. But you know, until you come to the place where you recognize, I need deliverance, and he is the deliverer, and you cry out to him to deliver you, nothing's happening. If you need deliverance tonight, as the piano plays, and as God is working in hearts, I'm going to pray first. As the piano plays, then listen, step out of your seat, do business with God, ask God for deliverance, and be specific, Lord. I need deliverance in this. Don't tell him how to deliver you. He knows what's best. He knows how to deliver you. But if you need deliverance tonight, be specific with God. Tell him you need deliverance in a certain area and trust him to do it. Father, we ask your blessing upon us tonight now as we look to you. Lord, would you indeed deliver us? Lord, would you show your might and your power in our lives? Lord, would you demonstrate your ability to deliver, Lord, because we know you're a delivering God. And, oh, Lord, may we not miss it, Lord. May we not miss the... Uh, the glorious power that is available to us if we'll only ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.